to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Hi, Wild One, and welcome back to this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today for this last, for now, session episode on polycystic ovary syndrome or ovarian syndrome. And I didn't want to end this series without uh, talking about the potential role of toxins in the development and resistance to treatment of uh, PCOS. And this is something that I came across on my research. It was the one outlier, so to speak, although it actually does tie in to the concept of there being a problem with insulin. Um, however, toxins um, is a large category for different things. And what I'm going to touch on here in particular are two kinds of toxins that are part of our modern day living. And one is what are called endocrine disrupting chemicals or EDCs, endocrine disrupting chemicals. Uh, and the second type is toxic light, which is very interesting. Um, but let's talk about the EDCs first. So what is uh, endocrine disrupting chemical? Well, endocrine has to do with your hormonal system. So endocrine glands are glands that produce hormones like your ovaries ovaries are endocrine glands so it's your pancreas your thyroid your pituitary uh, that kind of thing and when you have an endocrine disrupting chemical that means it's a chemical that does just that it disrupts your hormonal systems it interacts in a negative way with your hormonal hormone producing glands all the way from your gut. Remember, your gut also is a hormone-producing gland. And all the way to the ovaries, um, again, the pituitary, the thyroid, all that, all that, all those really wonderful, important organs. Uh, research is very clear, very clear that this happens to the point that the Endocrine Society published their second scientific statement on endocrine-disrupting chemicals in 2015 in the Journal of Endocrine Reviews, and they specifically say their first uh, statement in 2009 provided a wake-up call to the scientific community about how environmental endocrine-disrupting chemicals affect health and disease, and that five years later, a substantially larger body of literature, so way more research, has really solidified our understanding of um, why these mechanisms, um, why this happens, and how exposure to these chemicals in humans, especially during development, so especially when you're in your mama's belly, can lay the foundation for disease later in life. Okay. Now you'll notice that um, as I've been, you'll notice that as I've been talking about um, root causes of PCOS, I haven't mentioned genetics all right 
And when you review the research on genetics of PCOS, so they did go in and try to find, like, um, are any genes responsible for causing PCOS? And essentially what they found is that there is no one or few genes that are 100% responsible for causing PCOS. There are groups of genes that make individuals more susceptible, more vulnerable, more likely to experience PCOS. However, um, an environmental trigger, and as we're learning, these triggers are from our modern lifestyle of things that dysregulate insulin, the hormone insulin, such as our diet, our stress response, our gut health. And now we're learning also toxins. Modern day toxins are combining with these genes, these different kind of susceptible genes, to create what's called an expression of the condition in an, in an individual. So let's say, for example, you are born with um, genes that are really protective against PCOS. So, like, you know, you don't have any sort of susceptibility. It is way less likely that exposed to the same diet um, and lifestyle and toxins um, compared to someone else who has the susceptibility, you would be less likely to have PCOS. However, you could still get it. It's not like every it's not like everyone with PCOS will have these um, susceptibility genes. It's just that if you do have those susceptibility genes, it's way more likely that you will develop PCOS when um, exposed to these modern lifestyles uh, factors, which explains why you might have PCOS and you look around you and you're like, okay, why, you know, here I am, all my friends eat like me, they live like me, you know, they're exposed to the same amount of toxins as me, like theoretically, right? Why do they not have PCOS? And that can be explained, first of all, to things that we can identify. For example, Research shows that if you are exposed to these endocrine disrupting chemicals when you're in your mama's belly, that can really trigger um, extreme vulnerability later in life to developing something like PCOS. So maybe it's something that happened at that time. It Another um, kind of vulnerable time to be exposed to endocrine disrupting chemicals is when you're growing. So going through um, like pre-puberty and puberty phases, but really at any point in time you know, being exposed to those chemicals could make you more susceptible. And if you combine that with, um, you know, susceptible genetics and poor diet, um, you know, a diet that doesn't promote good insulin, good sugar hormone balance, like insulin is a sugar hormone, so we can call it good sugar hormone balance, then, you know, you're more likely to get PCOS. So that's why it can, that explains sometimes the confusion that you might experience by looking around you and saying, why me? Why am I experiencing this and other um, people around me are not, okay? However, you're not alone. Um, PCOS is affecting up to 10% of women uh, worldwide, some of the estimates are, and it's a rapidly growing number. As many as 200 million women are affected by it. It's becoming one of the number one causes of infertility, so um, it's unfortunate unfortunately you're not going to be on your own for long chances are you're gonna you know start to know people with pcos and hopefully we can turn the tide and we can turn this boat around so to speak and not just for like humanity but for you 
you know, you the personally lis- person listening, okay? But remember, in order for us to be able to affect change, you have to understand the root cause um, because then you're more likely to engage in the behavior to, um, you know, affect the change, right? Because I don't know about you, but if I don't understand why I should do something, like why I should change my lifestyle, I'm less likely to actually do it, right? Okay, so endocrine disrupting chemicals, where are we exposed to those? Um, We're exposed to those in our water. So, you know, I have a filtration system. I have a a carbon filter that I use um, to really filter my water. Like the water is filtered where I live, right, by the the government. However, um, there is um, a justifiable concern that that might not be enough. You know, a lot of people are even on hormone medications and they pee, you know, they pee them out and it gets into our water supply. So there is some level of exposure there. We get it from plastics. So heating up food in plastics in microwaves or drinking water from plastic bottles. That's a big one, right? And that's, you know, kind of frustrating when you're trying to be healthy, drinking lots of water, but you're drinking it from plastic bottles and little do you know, you're exposing yourself to these um, chemicals. And the well-known chemicals are like BPA, um, bisphenol A, and um, phthalates. So those are very well researched and understood to be endocrine disrupting chemicals for sure. For women, a big one is our cosmetics and body care. I mean, unfortunately, even nail polish is an issue and has been shown to you know get into our system when we put it on. It's quite toxic. Um, so looking at low toxins or toxins-free nail polish is something that I, I regularly do. And then I also am very attentive to my makeup. And because when you put something on your skin, your skin is a very absorptive, like it absorbs things through the skin. Your skin is a good organ of absorption. It's amazing for absorbing things, which is good and bad. <laughs> um, doctors use this to prescribe medications that you deliver to the skin. And so even some hormone treatments are topical creams that you put on your skin because it absorbs. So hormones absorb through the skin. We know this for better, or for worse. Um, and so you really want to make sure that you're not absorbing anything that could interfere with your hormone production in your body through your skin. And the only way to do that is to be very attentive to your um, shampoo, your conditioner, your hair gel, your hairspray, um, your body lotion. And I mean, I just, I've really divin- uh, I really did, did a deep dive into my cosmetics uh, and body care routine. And uh, I'm using more um, Ayurveda type of ways of moisturizing and very, you know, um, I buy only from specific companies uh, where I actually check their ingredients specifically. And there's a really great website called um, CauseDNA, COSDNA.com. And if you go to their ingredient analyzer, um, which is a tab there, and you just cut and paste the ingredients of whatever you're looking to analyze and you press enter, it'll analyze all the ingredients for you and it'll give you um, like a scale of risk from zero to 10, Um, 10 being like bad, (laughs) zero being good. Um, And you really don't want anything to be above like a three, you know, ideally a one, two, but sometimes there's a three or four that sneaks in there, but definitely nothing more than that. Sunscreen is a big offender, big, big, big offender. Um, So you really have to watch out um, for those. sunscreen chemicals unfortunately but there are good ones out there 
I like ones that have non-nano zinc. Uh, non-nano means it's not very small, so it won't absorb into your body, which could be a problem too. It just sits on your skin and then washes off. Um, and actually, the most affordable one I found in Canada anyways is called Think Baby, and I find it at my local shopper's drug mart. Um, but you'll have to do some research uh, locally for yourself if you if you don't have access to those kind of products. And again, um, Cause DNA is a good place to go to to analyze those ingredients or the website ewg.org, environmentalworkinggroup.org. And um, I saw Think Baby um, in Shoppers Drug Mart and it was cheap and it looked good. And I looked on the back and it said ewg.org certified and I checked it out and it was, and I ran it through the ingredient analyzer and it was quite good actually. So um, and it's great for kids. So win, win, win. <laughs> but you know, it's really that that's the level of attention. And also like, what do you wash your dishes with? What do you wash your hands with? And it's like a big rabbit hole you can dive into. However, I feel like if you don't do that dive, it's going to be really hard to stay healthy in today's modern world. It just, you know, the, pop- the proof is in the population. A lot of us are getting sick, unfortunately. Um, and I do believe that a lot of this is due to um, difficulties with toxins and our own individual toxin tolerances and tipping points. Um, so that's the endocrine disrupting chemicals. Um, and the thing is, you can detoxify them. They're a bit tougher to detoxify because a lot of them hide out in the fat. So when I work with my clients, we do some very specific things to try to help the body get those out because as much as doctors, Western medicine doctors like to say we don't have to assist detoxification because we have those systems in place. Well, those systems were built, like, were were updated maybe 20,000 years ago. Um, They're not necessarily made to deal with these very modern chemicals. So I, I I am of the strong opinion that we do need to help our body detoxify these chemicals very intentionally. Because over time, especially in some susceptible individuals, they can build up and start to cause problems. Okay. And you might have a better toxin tolerance when you're younger. And then as you get older and you get a bigger toxic load, then you can reach a tipping point and it becomes a problem, whereas before it wasn't. So that's one thing to definitely keep in mind. Um, And then the other toxin, which is kind of funny, I'm calling it a toxin, but it's quite toxic to the body, is the wrong kind of lighting. Um, exposure to light, particularly through the eyes. So the light that shines into your eyes. Um, and for in modern day living, we tend to have a lot of the blue light spectrum in our regular LED light bulbs. It's less of a problem with incandescent lights, which are like the old kind of lights. And LED lights are very popular now because they're wonderful for energy conservation. However, Unless you get like a specific kind of LED light that has a more wide spectrum of light, including the amber kind of colors, which are like reds and and um, oranges. Okay, um, what happens is that if you look outside and you see how the color of the sky changes over the day, right? So in the morning it's black before the sun rises, then the sun rises and it's kind of like a pinky color, and then over time it turns blue. During the day it's like bright blue. And then as the sun goes to bed at night, it goes through like that kind of wash of colors of, of uh, pink and red and amber, um, orange, and then it goes to bed again and it's black, okay? And what happens is that that light 
is entering through your eyes and being recognized by the back of your eyes, which are the retina. Okay. And the retina are actually extension are attached to your brain through the optic nerve, which is an extension of the brain. So the back of your eyes is actually a part of your brain. It's the only part of your brain that's outside of the skull. Very cool fact. And it's a sensing organ and it actually senses um, the brightness of the light and the color of the light. Okay. So during the day, like around noon, when the sun is at its peak in the sky, it has intensity, like a very intense, uh, they call it lux, like high, high lux, very intensely bright light. And it's primarily blue. And, um, and then, you know, in morning and sunset, you have different color variations more towards like the pinks and the oranges and the, and the reds. And what that does, the, the body actually uses that color. It recognizes the difference in color and intensity, and it sends signals to the brain, which initiates hormonal changes in the brain. And different hormones are released from the brain, specifically from organs like the pituitary, that send hormones from the brain, dump it into the blood, and those hormones travel through the blood to all different places in the body and kind of orchestrate the, um, the hormones in the body and the organs, like all the body parts, right? That's what hormones do, are kind of like messenger orchestrators. Um, and it also changes the um, neurological networks in the brain. So obviously, if you're about to go to bed, you want a different kind of neural network working for you. Like you want like the neural network that says it's time to go to bed um, versus the neural networks that you want active during like the daytime uh, around noontime. It's like, no, you don't want to go to bed. You want to be really alert and awake. So what, what happens with our toxic light is that when we are living a modern lifestyle and we have the same light bulbs that are really bright during the day, stay bright into the nighttime, like into the evening and nighttime, that light um, shines into our eyes and our brain is tricked into thinking that it's still daytime, okay? And so you've got your daytime hormones active when it's nighttime, which is really, really bad um, for many, many, many reasons, which I can't even begin to cover them here um, all at once. I would take like another couple hours, but it definitely um, upsets our hormonal balance. Okay, and it, and it uh, confuses and disrupts our hormone producing organs, like the functioning of those organs. That's very, very well documented. And the research that documents this and, and looks into this is called circadian science, which informs circadian medicine. Circadian is like the rhythms of the day, circa the day, circadian. There's like specific times of day where certain bodily functions need to happen. So at night, you have, generally speaking, you have repair and rejuvenation. And if you don't have your nighttime hormones, for example, melatonin is a very powerful nighttime hormone. Um, if you don't have those hormones optimally working because you've confused the brain with the wrong kind of light, um, you're going to have uh, this domino effect where one hormone is too low, the other hormone is too high, and that upsets all of the other hormones because remember, they're all interconnected, you know, dancing around in a circle, holding hands. If one falls down, the other ones eventually fall down too. So um, toxic light exposure is, is really key. Uh, and I did come across that in a couple of research studies saying that this could be a, a factor in any hormonal uh, imbalance issue, including PCOS, okay? So if you're listening to this and you have PCOS or you have a friend with PCOS and, you, you're, and you're like, oh, this isn't me, however you are experiencing hormonal imbalance issues, everything that I refer to in these four episodes absolutely re um, relates to you as well, 
Okay, these are all causes of hormonal imbalance. Um, it's just that in polycystic ovarian syndrome, there's this like kind of constellation, these like groupings of experiences, symptoms that people experience that may be more pronounced. Like these individuals are more, as I mentioned before, more genetically susceptible to experience it in more extreme ways. And you're not as genetically susceptible, genetically susceptible, and you're experiencing it in a in a more like subtle way. Okay, not as extreme, but still having issues with hormonal imbalance. Okay, so a very quick tip for decreasing toxic light exposure is uh, on your phone, put on the nighttime settings when the sun starts to set, and you can even put it on like a timer where it turns on at specific times a day, and that's usually in your phone settings. Um, on your computer, you can download a software called f.lux, f.lux. It's a free software and um, you can put in your time zone and it'll change the color of your screen for you according to the time of day. However, it won't change the brightness. So you still have to get that brightness down. And after a certain point in time in the day, the only light that your body can tolerate without messing up the hormones is red light. So I did buy LED amber lights, which are quite cheap at your local hardware store. And I have like a few low level lightings that I, you know, I pop the light bulbs in and um, I turn those on at night, turn off the overhead lights. Cause another thing is the angle of the light um, coming into the eyes. So the sun is above. So the light should not be coming above your head. Okay. That disrupts the hormonal signaling, but like down low, like a fire, for example, a low burning fire with like those red and orange colors. So the way you mimic it was it would be with like an LED amber light um, down at like you know table level or even better floor level like floor lamps um, or or um, salt lamps are quite helpful actually they're quite lovely and a nice amber glow but for those midnight uh, awakenings um, to go pee or let's say to breastfeed um, for example so awakening any time in the middle of the night you only want a red light so I have a specific red light in the bathroom. That my kids can turn on when they have to, you know, wake up and have a pee. And I wish I had known about this when I was breastfeeding my kids. Oh my goodness, it probably would have saved me a world of trouble. I had a lot of problems breastfeeding when I was um, when I had my two children, like terrible problems. And I'm I'm convinced that at least a part of it was because when I would wake up to breastfeed, I would like read my phone, you know, which was bright blue light in the middle of the night. <laughs> Um, or I'd, you know, be sitting there like reading my Kindle or something like that. Or I'd, I'd turn on the night light, which was not a red light. It was like a regular light. So it was, you know, definitely interfering with my hormone production and you need good hormones to make breast milk, right? And research shows that when you interfere with that from a circadian perspective with the bad lights, it can get in the way of things like, um, you know, the kind of hormone production you would need to support uh, healthy breastfeeding. So I wonder um, how many women out there are suffering from, um, you know, babies who don't sleep um, because of that, because also your hormones get into the baby's milk. And, um, and so the baby is getting daytime hormones through your milk in the middle of the night, and then they can't sleep. So, oh, goodness gracious, I probably could have saved myself so much post-traumatic stress disorder from my... <laughs> from uh, breastfeeding and sleeping issues I had with my kids. And really when I um, started to implement these like um, strategic uh, nighttime um, lighting strategies, my sleep and their sleep just 
the quality and quantity just skyrocketed. It was so good. So anyways, that was like a bonus, but definitely I think that um, when it comes to reversing a condition like PCOS, which research shows it is reversible, like 100% with lifestyle, not 100% reversible, but 100% it is reversible. Like there's no doubt when you reverse it in one person, you know, it's doable and they've reversed in many people in different research studies. So it's definitely doable. However, it's rarely one thing that is necessary to be done. It's often looking at all of the things and doing them all at once, or at least like stacking one on top of the other. So you do one thing and then you continue doing that and you add another thing and you continue doing that and you add another thing. The thing being a strategic lifestyle, sh- lifestyle shift or in some cases targeted supplements. So with some of my clients, we do have to help the body out with some supplements because you know you want to speed up the healing. You want to get that you know, get your fertility back faster. You really want to see that, you know, acne or hair growth go away quickly. Um, in some cases, the weight. In other cases, it's not a weight issue, right? Doesn't, you don't have to have, be overweight to get, have PCOS, as I've discussed before. And that's when you start to see like the quantum leaps and the mega shifts, right? Because research studies can't do that. They have to, they rarely can do that. It's often the case that they have to study one thing at a time. So it's like they'll study weight loss and then they'll study like a dietary change or they'll study a pill or they'll study one supplement and they'll see changes. It will improve, but it's probably not the kind of improvement that the participants want to see. They want to see, you know, they want to get their life back and they want to, or they want to have the life that they've never had and they want to have, Um, you know, great hormonal balance, great skin, hair, like, you know, hair growth on the hair, on the head where you want it to be, Um, you know, fertile, natural fertility. Um, great mood, you know, uh, regular, predictable, comfortable menstruation, effortless, ideal weight, all of those things, and also gut, right? Um, you know, no, dige- great digestive health and tolerance to foods. All of those things, um, you know, they're doable. It's it's definitely achievable. And um, you know, if you're someone who really wants to make that shift, you want to make that change, do reach out to me. I have a method. Um, it's just it works so well. And the thing is, people say, well, do we have a specific method for PCOS? And what I say is that, you know, unfortunately, modern diseases all have similar root causes and the way that they express in the body depend on uh, is determined by your genetics. So some people exposed to poor, you know, um, like unknowingly poor diet, insufficient exercise or too much exercise, you know, not in the Goldilocks zone you know, toxic light exposure, environmental toxins exposure, you know, some people will have that and they'll get PCOS. Other people get type 2 diabetes. Other people get hypertension. Other people get cancer. Some people get Alzheimer's. Some people will get uh, ALS. You know, some people will get Parkinson's. Some will get multiple sclerosis, right? It just depends on your unique interaction of your genetics with the environment. So while there are there are certainly um, specific things that if if I were to treat someone with PCOS or if I were to you know be the health expert on a person's team um, who has PCOS, I would yes I would incorporate some very specific things and I would also have them do my foundational um, go through my foundational method. Um, because chances are it's at least a few, if not all of those causes, root causes that are contributing to the person's uh, expression of, of disease or, you know, 
things like PCOS. And I'll be talking about my method um, in the next podcast because I've been trying to distill all of the information that I've been coming across into very ident- like very easily understandable uh, steps. And I think I've got it. I think I've got it. And I'm going to share it with you in the next um, podcast. And I want to hear back from you. I want to know, is this, does it resonate with you? Does it feel right? And again, if you're someone with PCOS and you're ready to, to make lifestyle changes and, and do like the work, there is work involved, 100%, then reach out to me. If you're not there yet, if you're not ready to do lifestyle changes yet, that's totally okay. You know where I am. And if you ever feel ready, you can reach out. Okay? So I hope that this was helpful. And I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day, evening, or night, depending on when you catch this. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe. And please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you and I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health.